Roy. How are you doing? Happy Pride. Mark. Happy Pride. Yeah, I'm a little sunburned from marching in the Pride Parade here in Dallas, but doing good. Yeah, um, and I'm sunburned from tubing this weekend, but other oh, nice. we have our Pride this week coming up. Uh, so, yay. Um, hope everyone is enjoying the festivities and... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, maybe watching some good horror movies. Uh, as you know, we're currently going through. If the editing is going to sound choppy on this episode, it's 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 because we've got lots of activity going on in the background. Yeah. So we apologize okay. in advance there. Yeah, we're still recording. We're still relatively early and the dogs are just barking at every person and their animal walks down the street. That's life for three dogs who like to just look out the window the whole time. So this is, we this, is, saying, this is our Fiona Apple uh, yeah, uh, yeah, recording, yeah, basically the, the fetch the bolt cutters episode <laughs> of Homos on Horror. Um, we're going through our favorite movies of ever you were born. Roy, as the older member of this duo, has a lot more to talk about than me. But uh, we're currently in, a, in, in the 80s where we were alive for all of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the last episode, we talked about uh, our favorite movies, such as Friday the 13th Beyond. Which one were your two? American Werewolf in London, right? Yeah, American Werewolf in London. And um, I totally forgot what my other one was now. But yeah, American Werewolf alligator. in London. Was in... Alligator. No, <laughs> yeah, right. Alligator. There you go. Which reminds me, that one and Alligator 2 is on Shutter, And I, need, I never even knew there was an Alligator 2. So I have to see that. I, yeah, I'm not expecting neither. much. I just recently bought Alligator on the Ultra HD 4K <laughs> Shot Factory Edition. Actually, oh my god, <laughs> um, your um, your uh, your collection is rather unique. I'll it, just leave it, at that. it definitely is. Yeah, I just bought Voyage of the Rock Aliens from Vinegar Syndrome. So if that tells you anything, uh, I you know I love going through these years, especially the 80s. Uh, so many iconic movies come out. I think. 82 and 83 is a little different. It's definitely not sequel heavy. Uh, I don't feel, especially not too much. No, it not was still... yet. Not yeah. yet. We're actually going to go through a year that has no Friday the 13th. Shocker. Um, no, no Friday the 13th, no Halloween, no Nightmare on Elm Street, no Child's Play. Wow. Uh, not very many years in the 80s that could say that. Yeah, really. So, uh, you know, we have that. I think it's going to be a few really big hits. A few, you know, kind of like B-levels. There's definitely a few. And then a lot of movies that I've never even heard of. A lot of dreck, yeah. Yeah. And yeah 80, 82 and 83 were, were interesting years because it was either a high-profile, big-budget, well, kind of big-budget horror films, and then crap, <laughs> basically. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, without further ado, let's talk about 1982. And what is the first thing you you saw in this year that you noticed? Well, well, the first thing we got to get out of the way is that there are there are two part threes that came out this year uh, that I think we need to go ahead and get out of the way. The first one is uh, Friday the Thirteenth Part Three in Super 3D. Oh yeah, I you know I my dream is to see this in a movie theater in 3D. And not with those damn glasses that give you a headache. Yeah, I, I did see this in, in 3D. And it was not with the red and cyan lenses when it was released in the theaters. It was that silver screen kind of polarized 3D glasses. So it definitely looked better than what's available on home video right now. Um, I that think we both. Go ahead. That being said, if it wasn't for the 3D gimmick, the movie would have just been a piece of shit. Uh, 
this is to me the mid in the mid of the many Friday Thirteenth movies. This is definitely in the mid. Not very many people champion this as their favorite. I'm sure there's a few out there, mm-hmm. but this isn't like you know two, four, six. Those are the one. Those are the ones that are really pretty much champion as the best. I don't the think anyone saying part three is. Yeah, the only important thing about part three is that this is where he got his hockey mask. Yeah, that is the best part. Uh, I think the movie's fun. I enjoy watching it. Uh, I believe we both saw this at Alamo Drafthouse in non-3D. Yeah. And the, and the effects are ridiculous. You see all the strings. You see all the strings, all the bats in your face and whatnot, where it's not. So it just doesn't make any sense without the 3D. Why are they doing this? Why are they playing yo-yo in your face? Ooh, the but popping corn is going in your face. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, that Friday the 13th, I like it a lot. Uh, Jason's pretty good. Um, you know, we have the pot smokers, so I forget them. Uh, but I think my biggest thing with Friday the 13th Part 3 is it has the wrong final girl. Um, I think the uh, the Mexican girl in it is a lot more interesting than the one we well, have. The- and, and and Jason Voorhees does one of the most despicable things you can do in a slasher film. He kills a pregnant woman. Oh yeah. So that happens. Raped somebody? Maybe. Possibly. Yeah, it's implied that he raped the final girl. You know, it's yeah. kind of implied there. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, she she I think out of all the final girls, she's definitely very low Vera, on my list. Yeah. Vera's. Is I like her better. Um, Shelly with his hair and his annoyingness um, has gone on to bigger and better things than the Friday Thirteenth. He's actually a lawyer and kind of now telling us how the Friday Thirteenth lawsuit is going. So he's explaining yeah. to us what's going on, which is still kind of a nice little claim to fame for him. Mm-hmm. And, and we just go ahead. And then, then there's my favorite character, Fox, who I thought we lost too soon in that movie. Oh yeah, everyone loves Fox. Uh, and also, Jason takes out the trash with two um, proprietors that did not deserve to have a grocery <laughs> store. So he did everyone a favor. God damn it, Harold! <laughs> when when uh, your grocery store owners eat off the thing and put it back in mm-hmm. uh, for sale, you don't really want these people. And they don't look like they're they, – they have an outhouse, don't they? They have an outhouse, and she was a total shrew. Who likes to knit. And he likes to uh, go to the bathroom and then take care of uh, the grocery store without possibly washing his hands, I think. So, yeah. Thanks, Jason. You did the town a favor. (laughs) From from the mediocre to the getting bigger every year is which other part three? Uh, Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, uh, which is still to this day, outside of uh, Halloween Kills, probably the most polarizing entry of the franchise because Michael Myers is not involved with it at all. It it was an experiment that John Carpenter wanted to do where he turned the Halloween franchise into an anthology movie series where there would be a different movie every year with the Halloween name attached to it, but a completely different story – and with Season of the Witch, it backfired royally on him and Universal Pictures. So they went, uh, never mind. Um, I think Season of the Witch has such an interesting trajectory. Hated upon released, then became underrated 
for a good long while it was just under like a few people thought it was underrated and now i think no one can really say it's underrated i think especially the horror community has rallied around it the three masks are iconic of the witch the skeleton and the pumpkin sold everywhere figures everywhere i don't think you can really say this is underrated or not appreciated any longer at least in the horror community it is a massive cult film now in the horror community it's transcended underrated to being a true cult film what what are your true thoughts on it i love it honestly i i i am unashamed in admitting that i love halloween three season of the witch i'm able to separate it from the rest of the franchise i think if it was just released as season of the witch it probably would have done a lot better than it did uh-huh. Yeah, it's got some goofiness to it and the whole, you know, magic element with it that's going on with him being a warlock and everything. I, I just don't think people were kind of ready for horror films like that at that point with this just giant level of fantasy that it has. Um, I mean, yeah, the, the the ending, I will admit, is ridiculous. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how he's able to stop the televisions across the entire world. Uh, from <laughs> preventing what's you know the inevitable that's going to happen anyway. Um, but this is Tom uh, Atkins at his most Tom Atkinness. Definitely, uh, this it, is as Tom Atkins as he can get, banging younger women, ignoring his <laughs> wife and children, taking down an evil corporation, somehow throwing a mask over a uh, <laughs> camera. Expertly. Oh, that was epic! The, yeah, in one throw, he he hits it. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's Tom Atkins being Tom Atkins. Uh, I personally have a love hate relationship with this movie. Soundtrack is probably the best of the series, or one of the best of the series. The great score, yeah. Uh, the little jingle for the commercial is the earworm from hell. Um, you know, uh, we all know how that goes. Happy, happy Halloween. You know, we know that one. Um, the masks are iconic as fuck. But when it gets to the, like, once they tie up Tom Atkins, I don't want to watch this movie anymore. <laughs> it's so <laughs> Then you start wondering, like, how long has she been a robot? Did she did it just so many he, questions happen at that point? Yeah. If she was a robot from the beginning, why would he even send her to get him to possibly stop? Like it, the questions never stop. Would he not have noticed after like fucking her all night long? You know, and yeah. But if not, boy, he can make those robots on a dime. These robots that are. Yeah, it's it's a mess. It's a fantastic mess, but it's a mess. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've grown that's to part of the fun of it, it for more me. more. That's part of the fun of it for me is that it is a mess. I acknowledge it's a mess, but I love it. I absolutely there, love there, it. There's a strong contingent of horror fans who will say this is the best Halloween movie. Now I won't say that. And uh, <laughs> you for one. No, I'm just kidding. If you like it that much, flo- do whatever floats your boat. But I kind of see it as almost overrated now. It's gone from underrated to slightly overrated in some ways, but it does definitely have. Uh, some really strong suits. So, yeah. Halloween, Season of the Witch. I remember watching this as a kid. Was, oh, Michael Myers is in it, though. So Yeah, he has a cameo in a, in a commercial about the movie Halloween, yeah. <laughs> and Jamie Lee Curtis has a cameo also as the voice of the operator on the phone in the phone booth. It's, it's amazing. But, you know, Silver Shamrock will live with us forever. So if any movie needed a sequel that's many years later, it's this one, I think. Yeah. 
though. After those big two, I did want to bring up um, a fantastic Jala movie that was done uh, called Tenebre mm-hmm. um, by, you know, horror master. Uh, you know how Argento. Dario Argento, <laughs> who I love so much, I forget his name when you ask me about it. <laughs> Uh, okay, so I don't want to go too much into it. This is a movie I've seen twice. If you you know Italian horror, you're not going to remember the whole plot of it because the plot's not really that important. But, you know, killer, a uh, person, you know, a man is in from America in Europe and things go awry for him. And he's writing a book and people are dying like he has in his book. And so he's a suspect. But he's also the main force into finding the killer. I don't know how that happens, but it does. I think the most interesting point about this movie though is argento wanted this to be in a world that had survived some sort of apocalyptic thing never explain what it is and that the human population is severely reduced now this really isn't in the movie (laughs) no one mentions anything that has killed off a large number of the population i think i really think about it there's not a lot of background characters in it or anything as compared to some of his other movies like uh, Suspiria where you see lots of people here and there and everywhere. Mm -hmm. Uh, I would love a movie that actually explored that, especially in this post pandemic world we live in. So did you know about that? I did not know. I I mean, I will admit to is not one of my personal favorite Dario Argento movies. I I appreciate it and I, and I will watch it, but it is not one of my favorites, but I knew nothing about that. (laughs) Yeah, when I read it, I was like, that is so interesting that he wanted this to be, like, part of the set of this movie, and yet it's not there at all. Uh, and also, the look of the movie is in this weird, and that it's, it's made in the time where the 70s were still there, but the 80s were starting to come around. So everything looks odd, kind of like how everything looks in uh, that James Bond movie, um for your eyes only. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it's not really seventies. It's not really eighties. It's in this little, little weird time frame where you can't really place exactly what era it is. Yeah. And Argento was not the only, um, Italian horror film director that had a movie come out that year. Fulci actually had two, oh, uh, yeah, that, that came out. Uh, one was, uh, one I've actually never seen, which is Manhattan baby, which I heard is supposed to be kind of like a demonic possession uh, type movie uh, so not your typical giallo or anything like that just made a straight out horror film the other one i did see and i will admit it was a rough film to get through the new york ripper so have you have you seen the new york ripper i have i i've been a bad i've been a bad fan of uh, you know as italian horror fan i have not seen these movies i feel like i've been kind of scared away fool she is he's rough his movies are rough and we know this that. one's definitely rough I think New York Ripper I heard was really bad. Um, well, the the version that's available in America is heavily censored. I mean, it's yeah. never the the director's cut has never been released here in the United States. And and if the version that I've seen is not the director's cut, I don't think I want to see the director's cut because mm-hmm. it's rough. I mean, you got this 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 duck voice serial killer who is when he's murdering people. For I mean, we're seeing the murders in grisly misogynistic detail 
And as he's doing it, you've got this Donald Duck voice going <laughs> while it's That's happening. Strange, strange. And it's just, it's, I mean, you, you need to take a Silkwood shower after watching the movie, actually. And, you know, that. That's a hallmark of these movies of this era, but some of them take it further than, than others. Like Tenebra is pretty bloody, pretty gory, mm-hmm. but you know I've heard that New York Ripper took it to the next level, and that's why I've kind of avoided it. Another movie that kind of did that also is uh, one of the most notorious uh, video nasties actually ever made. <clears throat> it came from England called Extro, spelled X-T-R-O. Um, about a, a boy's father who who disappears under mysterious circumstances one night with all these bright lights. And suddenly, all this time later, when the family has moved on, um, this alien lands on Earth, violently rapes a woman, impregnates her uh, with this giant, fast-growing embryo that turns out to be the boy's father. And she gives birth to a full-grown man, and they don't flinch. From the birthing scene, we see the whole thing, uh, which wow. is why it became a video nasty. Um, and basically, the uh, we don't know if it's like the father actually turned into alien or if it's the alien who knows about the father trying to, you know, conquest Earth or something. All we know is that he's after the son and it just gets bizarre at that point, gets a lot more graphic. Um, there's a little hint of like a whisper kiss of like pedophilia incest that is brought up at one point in the movie. And thankfully they immediately walk away from it. Thank God. Uh, You're you're not selling me on this movie, dude. (laughs) uh, It's twisted. It's absolutely twisted. And I, I, and I, I'm still wondering to this day, there's a scene where this woman has this freak out because the boy's pet snake gets loose and into their neighbor's apartment and we see her chop up the snake in the movie to this day. I don't know if they really killed a snake on film or not. Um, the first time Friday the 13th. Yeah. Would it be the first time, but yeah, it's twisted films twisted as hell. And it's hard to find now, but I'm going to uh, avoid that one. <laughs> yeah. You know, from, from X to X ray, AKA, <laughs> Possible massacre, <laughs> aka be my Valentine or else, aka Ward 13. Lots of AKAs. Uh, I know it is X, no one loves it for X ray. This is a trashy movie starring Playboy Bunny Barbie Benton. Um, oh, where she, <laughs> it is the also, oddest movie ever. Is she popping out of the cornfield on Hee Haw to be in this movie? So, this have you seen this movie? No. <laughs> It's ridiculous. Okay, so Barbie Benton's character has a stalker who, uh, on Valentine's Day in 1961, uh, leaves a card, and then, you know, she doesn't feel like it's accepted, so he kills somebody, you know? Um, And then flash forward to 19 years. That was like a big thing back then. Remember, like, there's a Mm. scene with children. Fast forward to the present. Big deal back then. Huge, huge trope back then. Yeah, yeah. So Barbie Barbie Benton's character, um, Susan, uh, has to go get a follow-up to some x-ray she had at this 
godforsaken godforsaken hospital. And when she goes, her stalker has somehow taken over like the top level that is filled with that's been been like uh, pesticided or something. So no one's up there, and he's kind of taken that part over. And he wants her to stay in this hospital, so he switches out her X-ray of her of herself with like some cancer-ridden patient. Oh and God. because of it, everyone makes this poor woman stay in the hospital. She's ready to go, and they have just pretty much, because of this one X-ray, she cannot leave. Everyone stops her from leaving. Mm-hmm. Uh, people are dying left and right. Uh, she has the most uncomfortable... Uh, rapey um, doctor exam by someone who isn't even the main killer. The doctor is a sleazeball and uh, you know, he needs to examine her. So he's like, will you change? She puts on, like she tries to put on, you know, the already revealing, you know, nurses, nurse gown, you know, the Mm -hmm. hospital gown. And he makes her take it off so she can do this exam and the, the, the camera follows and it's just like, wow, this was a different era. <laughs> I can't believe they did this. Um, the movie's ridiculous. It's like a hospital with only one way in and one way out. Stairs that leave to nowhere. Pillars that's always where he needs to be. It is a pretty stupid horror movie. And, you know, watch it. <laughs> <laughs> kind of, the house kind of sounds like a Winchester mystery house almost. Yeah, this is just, it's just, you can't believe what's really happening because it's so, first off, it's so frustrating to see her not be able to leave because just one x-ray. No one will just let her leave. Uh, just go. And uh, again, like just weirdly put together hospitals that don't make any sense for the floor plan. But it's really good for a serial killer in it. <laughs> wow. God. Um, before we start getting to some good ones, let's 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 clear out some more trash here real quick. Boarding House. Uh, Boarding House is is known for being the first and I think uh, the first film of its kind to have been filmed entirely on Betamax camcorder and then blown up to 35 millimeter print. The results are what you think it is. I, I've I've seen this one. A, a good portion of the film is also told in teletype. What is that? Uh, what? Yeah, like an old school computer teletype. Like someone's got an old like third party oh TDD phone relay thing that they're doing with someone who's deaf, giving out basic plot points <laughs> throughout the course of the film. Strange, strange, strange. So we've we've got that. Uh, we've got one that I, I genuinely love this movie, even though it is a bad film, but I have so much fun with this one, Madman. Oh, uh, the first of several. We have a few really good camp movies that aren't in the Friday the 13th family, and this is definitely one of them. I, I love Madman. Me too, with the with the incredibly awkward uh, sex in the jacuzzi scene, uh, ballet as everyone calls it. Um, I love Madman. Happen within five feet of each other. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> all the murders can be like a dot could be made, and they're within fifty feet of each other. I think that's the most ridiculous thing about the movie, and the killer himself is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Man, uh, Mars. We've got pieces uh, from uh, <laughs> from. There's only one thing you need to know about pieces. <laughs> and let's do it together. One, two, three. 
Come on. Wait, we're not going to do it together? <laughs> no, I'm waiting for you to do it. Bastards! <laughs> yeah, oh there's my. one scene that needs to be seen. The rest of the movie is complete trash, but see the one scene. <laughs> um, It's hard to get through, but the one scene makes up for it. Then, then we have another one that's really schlocky, but it is fun. Uh, Slumber Party Massacre. Um, I, I do get a kick out of it. it it's actually a feminist uh, slasher movie, uh, it, would, believe it or not. Um, I, the, the metaphor of the drill being his dick and using the drill to drill women uh, to death is the opposite of subtle in this There's movie. There's no subtlety in this movie. <laughs> and a great uh, pizza scene. Oh, yeah, great pizza scene. But I do, I do get a kick out of uh, Slumber Party Massacre. Uh Charles Band's Parasite, which is known as the film debut of Demi Moore, about this giant parasite that's uh, riddling through people. It's known as the film that that actually really resurrected the whole 3D craze uh, in the early I 80s. I don't, I haven't heard of anything about this being some great 3D movie. It's wow. you, you can when you watch the non-3D version, you could tell it was supposed to be a 3D movie, especially the scene where this old woman gets attacked by it. And then she starts like sprouting around like crazy and she and suddenly her head rolls into the camera and the parasite bursts out of her head into your face. Mm-hmm. It's like it also, cheesy. It also has the movie that's referenced in Scream 2, The Dorm, The Drip, Blood. I only know it because it was referenced in Scream 2 and I've never heard anyone else mention this movie in my life. That's the only <laughs> thing I know about it also. And I, that's the only thing I know about it also. Yeah. And let's wrap it up with when it comes to taking out the trash with a zero-budget film that you would swear was made by Troma Pictures, but it is not, but still fun, Basket Case. Oh, my God, Basket Case. So much screaming. So <laughs> much screaming by a little clay creature. Go ahead. Tell, tell us more. What's in the basket? That's all I gotta say is what's in the basket. One of the worst wigs of all time is on that poor woman. This film was a huge bomb in the theater, but because of the advent of home video, this thing blew up. People were renting it because it became one of those movies where you saw the 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 cover art and you're like, oh, this looks interesting. And then you the cover art is good. You got other people like, have you seen that movie Basket Case? You know, and so it became kind of a rite of passage film. And now it's one of the biggest cult films ever made. It's about conjoined twins who have an unwanted surgery and the remains of like the parasitic twin. Uh, the the brother now keeps uh, in a wicker basket. <laughs> Just super strong, super dangerous massive flesh long before malignant there was basket case (laughs) exactly uh the twins from dead by daylight have nothing on them yes um belial oh my god and it's so like it's 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 also one of those movies where you have to see it just to look what is it is it's based in new york right like you got to see what new york looked like before it got cleaned up see this and you see the howling not the howling yeah the howling and you see like oh yeah Times square doesn't look like it does now <laughs> no, yeah when you see movies like this or like taxi driver yeah. or like that, yeah it's interesting to be able to see 
what New York looked like before Giuliani. Yeah, oh my God, this is uh, this movie. Woo, the ending. Woo. <laughs> Woo. <laughs> I've never seen any of the sequels. I've only seen the first one, but yeah, it's. I'm honestly surprised that the last. I'm only. Yeah, I promise. <laughs> I do a special episode. Almost on horror. Oh my lord. Let's get to movies. <laughs> let's talk, let's talk about some of the big ones now of the eighties of eighty of eighty two because there are some some films that came out in eighty two that were hits. Um, and some of the biggest movies of the eighties were in this year. Uh, first of all, the celebrated movies. First of all, there's the remake of Cat People. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've never seen it. I know the David Bowie song, but uh, it's not for kids. Um. I mean, it, it does go with the basic idea of what the, have you seen the original? Oh, I love the original cat. People. Okay. Uh, love, love, love it. Heavily recommended. So, yeah, I mean, it's still the idea where, you know, if she gets aroused, she transforms into the Panther and we, it, it's very, you could tell that it was inspired by American werewolf in London because it, we have the effects of her, of the Panther literally ripping out of her body. But they decided to take it a step further um, than they did with the original movie by adding this notion that she needs to have incestuous sex uh, with her brother in order to cure herself. Wow. I don't think that was in the original text. (laughs) (laughs) I I mean, people mainly went to go see it because they wanted to see Natasha Kinski. Kinski, She was big back then, Natasha Kinski. Uh, does does she still is she still a mail order bride pretty much not mail order but like some immigrant bride who has <laughs> the worst husband ever who's just like oh you know what that thing where I marry that woman that was a mistake why don't I get with you instead I mean oh I hate that about the original <laughs> is, is that still uh, the case in this one I the thing is 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 that I mean she is. Um, I, I'm trying to remember if I remember right in this one. I think she's a prostitute, if I remember right okay. in this one. Not someone just hanging out at the zoo all the time. Yeah, well, she's still hanging out at the zoo. In this Malcolm one. McDowell's yeah. young in this one, I'm guessing. Like, he's, yeah, he's the he's brother that young. she has to have. Yeah, she, he's the brother that she has to have sex with. Yeah. Oh, wow, wow. I need to see this one just because I, I love the original so much. It's got a great soundtrack. I mean, Giorgio Moroder did the soundtrack for this movie, and, and he teamed up one time only with David Bowie for the song that's in the movie, too. So, um, it's, Let's talk about the controversial one. Oh, no, no, that's next year. Sorry. I was going to say, we'll no, not that yet. That's ne- that's 83, if I, know, if I think I know what you're talking about. So what's next after that for you? Ah, uh, well, we're starting to get down to the nitty-gritty, basically, as to what might possibly be our favorite film, what could be everybody's favorite film or, of the year. Um, the final three? I guess so. I'm looking at all the other movies that came out that year, and we're, we're down to the final three, I guess. Um, let me take a look one more time. Yeah, we're pretty much down to that, unless you want to talk about The Dogs of Hell. or Oh, my God. Or, that was my movie of the year. No. <laughs> <laughs> or don't look in the attic. That's not. Let's don't talk about that one. Um, <laughs> or or the house on Sorority Row. There's there, there there's there's another schlocky one we forgot to mention. There's yeah. so many that have great titles, and I don't ever want to see them. And that is definitely one of them. <laughs> Murder by phone. Cue the winged serpent, which is I've seen it once. I never want to see it again. Let's just say that. Uh, <laughs> it looks cool on the cover, right? Yeah. The, yeah. The cover. 
looks great, oh. and then you watch the movie and pfft, turds. Is Amityville to Possession your uh, favorite? <laughs> no. Uh, Amityville <laughs> to the Possession is not, but that, that, was, that was a huge hit, though. It was a huge hit. Um, it was loosely based on the events of what happened in the house before the Lutzes moved in. And by loosely based, I mean, well, the guy kills his family because Satan tells him to do it. That's it. Um, this film is sleazy. It's so sleazy because there, there's a sequence in the film where when the guy is possessed by Satan, he fucks his sister. And, there, and, we fit incest a lot in this year. There's a lot of incest in 82. There was. Um, oh, my God. Yeah, a lot of incest in 82. It's bonkers. The film is sleazy. It's bonkers. It's... I've seen it, and that's all I'll say is I've seen it. <laughs> I can talk about my favorite movie, because I think your favorite is down to two of them, because I know you so well. Okay. You could be wrong, though, because all three of them are up your alley. My favorite is Creepshow. Okay. Uh, it's a hard choice, but one of the movies is very much in the too sci-fi for me to really say it, even though I love it so much. Uh, Creepshow, I think it's just fun. You know, I love comic books. Mm-hmm. You know, I love horror movies. And this is the perfect combination. It is definitely the peanut butter and chocolate of the two of them. Um you know, this is the union of Stephen King and George Romero. Mm-hmm. And lots of uh, Stephen King wrote this, Romero directed. It has some really iconic things. I saw this. I don't think I remember. I don't think I knew what it was. But the crate, the final mm-hmm. uh, story mm-hmm. crate, especially when you're young, and that crate in the, in the corner, and you see... Um, see her buy it of uh, Adrian Barbeau and you're wondering what's going to happen. That's really intense as a child. That is really intense as a child. This is one of my favorite Adrian Barbeau performances yeah, as Billy. She, I love yeah. her as the alcoholic Billy. Yeah. As I, as I saw as an adult, I realized how great she was as this annoying person, embarrassment to her husband. Um, <laughs> and, but I think it's just a well done. And, but all four of the, all four of the... Uh, well, it's actually five stories, because... Uh, yeah, it's actually five, because the one that gets under my skin, no pun intended, is the cockroach one. Yeah, so, I forget but, about that one. I love it so much, <laughs> I don't even know how many there are. Yes, that's how good of a horror movie. <laughs> yeah, everybody. <laughs> no, that one, that one just so gross. Uh, I really also... Father's Day. Father's Day. It. That's fun. Oh, my God. This is original story written by King for the movie. It's everything you want in a Father's Day uh, movie, including Ed Harris looking pretty damn good. Um, this was definitely his tribute to like Tales from the Crypt and all yeah. those comic books from the 50s, because it definitely had that feel of those comic book stories. Yeah. The light, uh, Romero really did some great Argento lighting in this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was, it's just filmed and it looks really good. Uh and then, you know, you have the one that Stephen King acts in himself, The, lone, the Lonesome Death of Jordy Farrell. Meteor shit! <laughs> I like that one a lot. Uh, I think Stephen King's, you know, he does a lot better job than, say, uh, M. Night Shyamalan did in <laughs> Lady <laughs> in the Water. <laughs> oh, 
Water or any other acting gig he had. Yeah. Yeah, Creep Show's a lot of fun because I mean it's it's an all star cast. You've got you know Tom Atkins again. Um, you've got uh, Ed Harris. You've got Leslie Nielsen. You got villain Ted. role, which yes. I love about it. You got Adrian Barbro. You got Hal Holbrook. You've got um, uh, Ted Danson. I just so so many people in this movie. Um, and yeah, I, 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 it's a to me, it's a great love letter to those horror comic books that parents could not stand and tried getting banned for so long. Um, uh, I mean, not just banned. I mean, that was the start of so like such the big. I mean, have you seen some of the covers? They were pretty gruesome. I can't imagine yeah. being a mom in the fifties and seeing your kid read Leave It to Beaver reading <laughs> some of these <laughs> covers of beheadings and you know satanic yeah. rituals. And so many of these comics were lost because they had mass burnings of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, these are still desired books, Tales from the Crypt and all that. Uh, creep, and they're hard to get. And when you do get them, they're highly sought after, very expensive. Yeah, they are. And all, I mean, already 70 years old. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I love this. I, and I really am glad we have the TV show. Uh, the TV shows hit and miss sometimes. Yeah. But I still am glad we have it. Yeah, I, I, I'm a fan of the TV show, and I'm the same way. It is hit and miss with me at times, but I, I still am glad that the legacy of Creepshow is continuing and, you know, that it's finding a new audience as well. And, yeah, I'm I'm all for anthology horror like this. I kind of wish they would do this with Tales of the Crypt, but I will admit it. It's going to be hard to top that HBO series because that HBO series was so much fun. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I mean, when when an anthology movie is done right, it is a blast to watch. And Creepshow is an anthology movie done right. It won't be the only anthology movie that wins a year for me. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> all right. Take so I'm going to let you two, between the between the final two. I it's want a thing or poltergeist. I, I want you to guess between the final two which one it is, and I'll tell you if you're right or wrong. Here's my reasoning. The thing is universally loved. Probably most people would say that's the best movie that came out. Poltergeist is that classic late early '80s movie that strikes you in your nostalgia, you know, um, and it's really effective mm-hmm. um, so like i saw it on tv <laughs> there i go i was able to get that in <laughs> um dad didn't let us finish it he he was like no you are not watching this demonic crap <laughs> about the time where the guy like thought he was eating the raw meat and then starts his face starts falling apart he's like we're done no more so i can only imagine how that clown would have affected me let me just tell you mm-hmm. i'm gonna say it's poltergeist you are correct. It is yeah. Poltergeist. So, yeah, I mean, John Carpenter's The Thing. I do love John Carpenter's The Thing, and it was a notorious bomb. It. it was a notorious bomb when it first came out. You know, critics ripped it apart. Fans of the original black and white movie ripped it apart. Uh, but reevaluation has happened over time, and we've realized it is one of John Carpenter's best films. It was so technologically advanced when it comes to the, the use of practical effects and just the way it ramps up paranoia in the film to where you just can't trust any of the characters, including Kurt Russell's character and Wilford Brimley's character. You can't trust anybody in the film. And 
I, even to this day when I watch the movie, it still holds up so well. I and believe some of the scenes, like the chest bursting scene, is, is still oh my god. I believe we saw this in the theater again. I think this one at Inwood. Um, I remember when that scene happens, like all the people who had never seen it before, just all get like screamed because it was just whoa, you don't see that yeah. coming. It's it's just it just happens, and uh, this movie's very effective, very good. I think it's kind of made everyone forget about the original in some ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of over, it's overtaken it for sure by now. But here's why I went with Poultrygeist. Um, so this film really pushed the boundaries of the PG rating when it came out. I yep. before before the advent of PG thirteen. PG was such a broad net um, when it comes to when it comes to cinema, and this film, directed by Toby Hooper and produced by Steven Spielberg, finally confirmed that yes, Toby Hooper did indeed direct it. Steven Spielberg himself came forward and said yes, he is the one that directed it, not I. Um, there are moments in this movie that are pure terror absolute Uh pure terror uh the scene when the mom is in the being constructed swimming pool and the skeletons are coming out of the ground attacking her uh the the scene where that nightmarish tree that's outside your window comes to life and is trying to swallow the sun to death um the scene when they're trying to bring caroline back from the other side and the the head comes out of nowhere and attacks I, there's just some the really, clown scene. The clown scene. I if you didn't have a fear of clowns before, that scene will do it. Uh, and then, then then the scene of the house imploding upon itself. I mean, there's just so much going on. There are some effects that have not stood up well. Unfortunately, the tree being one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, when I went to go see this movie as a young kid, we went to the theater to go see it. And yeah. we didn't expect it to be as terrifying as it is because it was rated PG. And we'd seen the trailer and we're like, okay, Roy's doing good with horror films. <clears throat> we'll go see Poltergeist. Scared the living fuck out of me as a kid. Um, to the point where I was not sleeping in my bedroom because I had one of those creepy trees near my window. I refused to sleep in my bedroom for the longest time. I was sleeping out in the living room. Uh, so, and even that was kind of creeping me out because of the whole thing with the television. Um, so, but I, I look back and I watch Poltergeist now and I get the nostalgia for that, but at the same time, just the imagination behind the film and just how well written it is and with everything that's going on and just the, the whole plot twist with the cemetery and everything. It's just a well-constructed, well-made movie. Mm Mm-hmm. And, and it is. I, I enjoy watching it every now and then. Um, how much do you hate to see the remake? Oh, I, I, the remake, we don't discuss the remake. <laughs> we, don't, we don't disgrace Toby Hooper that way. We don't do that, no. no. Um, now, the, the, we'll talk about the sequels when we get to the, on this list. But yeah, we don't talk about the remake. Yes. No, but Poltergeist is really good. And like I said, this movie, while it doesn't have the whole... You know, the other two had so much more volume that it had Creepshow, The Thing, and Poltergeist. 
in addition to Friday 13 Part 3 and Season of the Witch, pretty mm. good year. Pretty solid year. Yeah, I mean, the 80s were pretty nice to Toby Hooper. I mean, this is not the first time that he'll he'll be appearing on oh, no. this show. I mean, I mean, yeah, there's definitely more to him than – well, we talked about the Funhouse last episode. But there's definitely more to him than that in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, so. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All right, so let's take a break, and then we're going to talk about 1983. All righty.
right, we are back. All right, 1983, and... Uh, not too big of a year for horror, if memory serves me right. I mean, it, it had its share, but not too many. Tell us about the return of 3D and full effect in oh, this Jesus. year. Because <laughs> I think you've seen this movie where I have not. It's, it was oversaturated in, I mean, in, in 83, because, I mean... Yeah, Friday the 13th Part 3 was a hit, and Parasite was a hit, and then uh, there was also another movie that came out called Coming At Ya, which was a western that was in 3D that was a hit. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. Uh, Sounds different these days. <laughs> another another one that was called Rottweiler in 3D that was a hit. But in 83, we had movies like Metal Storm, The Destruction of Jared Sin. Uh, we had... <laughs> we had theatrical reissues of um, the original House of Wax, which was done in this new Super Scope 3D that was being done. Lots of broadcasts of the classic Red and Cyan 3D on television. Yeah, of I all remember sorts of that. Movies. You'd get the glasses from 7-Eleven. Um, and <laughs> a movie that was reissued in 1983 in 3D that as a child, I, I don't know why my dad took me to this i don't think he knew what we were getting into when we went to this also uh but we went to go see it because of what it was it was in 3d and it was a father son trying to bond outing it was paul morrissey's flesh for frankenstein um which at the time was just released as frankenstein 3d it no nothing else to it we didn't know anything else about it and the trailer that they showed did not make it look like it was going to be what it was. So we had no idea Andy Warhol was involved with this or anything, and I think that's when my dad realized, I think he made a mistake. When it was released... Body horror comedy. <laughs> when, it was when it was reissued, it was reissued in an R-rated cut. So I was allowed to go in with my father, and... I should not have seen this movie in 1983 as a little child because you got like the scenes, you know, the, the armpit kissing sequence and the lizard crawling out of the guy's ass in the brothel and uh, fucking the, the, the vast deference and everything like that. I mean, just so much going on in this movie. I look at it now and I crack up. It's because it's just so over the top campy, um, over the top gory, too, but not a film for a child to see. And here I thought you were just going to talk about Amityville 3D and Jaws 3D. <laughs> oh, I wanted to get that story out of the way before we get to the, the trash that is Amity Thrill 3D. We actually did that one on uh, Cult Cinema Catacombs. And the only positive thing I can say about the movie was that it was Meg Ryan's acting debut. Wow. That's the only positive thing I could say about the movie. And oh, and we I think a lot see, of people are going to be like, who? Like, she was oh. a huge star. <laughs> <laughs> and we get to see Lori Laughlin's character get killed in the movie. So that's the other positive thing I think we could say about the movie. How old was she? <laughs> she was young. She played the daughter of Tony Roberts and Tess Harper in the movie. Um, it's about the, it has nothing to do with the other two movies. This family moves into the house. And, uh, completely fabricated at this point, right? At this point, yeah. And then, like the 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 it's the well to hell, as they call it now, uh, can get filled up with boiling water, and uh, it's bad, just bad, 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 bad. How about 
Jaws 3D, which I have seen, and I remember certain things. I can't tell you a damn thing about it. I didn't even know Dennis Quaid was in it until <laughs> I think someone mentioned it on, like, uh, uh, Will and Grace. I think she talked about it once. Like, Dennis Quaid's in it, and he's in a Speedo? Maybe I need to go see this again. Oh, we've got Dennis Quaid. <laughs> we've got fresh off of winning an Oscar, Louis Gossett Jr., and oh we've my, got... I think I kind of remember him in it. Yeah, we've got the screen debut of Leah Thompson as well, so... You got all that going on. Jaws 3D is a horrible movie, but for me, it's escalated. Uh, it's elevated to it's so bad it's good because it is nothing but absolute wrong choices, not only with the characters, mm-hmm. but with the people who thought that the special effects shots in the movie were good. Yeah. Um, and Damn Shark keeps on following that damn family. This time it is a mother shark getting revenge on SeaWorld, which which the Brody kids happen to work at, killing her baby uh, because the person running SeaWorld, played by Louis Gossett Jr., thought it would be great, a great attraction for SeaWorld to have a living great white shark in custody. And of course, the shark dies and Mama Shark is like, oh, no, you didn't. And wrecks hell on SeaWorld. Okay. The third dimension is terror. That's the no, tagline no. of the movie. <laughs> you third know, tell me disaster. this, and I think in our world we're like, yeah, get him, shark, kill them all. <laughs> I, this, Bring this, SeaWorld this, to the ground. <laughs> this film does indeed have one of the worst special effects shots in cinema history, um, with uh, the shark ramming into the head, underwater oh, yeah. headquarters. Oh, yeah. Um, I... I don't know. I can't justify what they were thinking for doing this. And the film was also so over the top in come, we're coming to get you, coming out at you, special effects. They were concentrating more on that than anything else in the movie, I think. We we go from 3D to Stephen King. A few Stephen King movies came out this year. Uh, both pretty respected, I would say, Cujo and Christine. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Cujo's gotten a little more respect over the years, I think, than it, it did when it first came out because it it deviates a lot from the book, but for good reason. Yeah, I think <laughs> I, I I I do like watching Cujo mainly for D. Wallace's performance. I think she's she did amazing. A hell of a job in that movie. Yeah. Um, but uh, uh, and little Danny Pinto, little mm-hmm. Danny Pinto before uh, who's the boss? Yeah. Oh, Pintaro. I'm sorry. Pintaro. Pintaro. I apologize if I'm uh, masquerading your name. but uh, And the dog. The dog. I like. I remember seeing that dog as a kid. And I think that's another movie that I wasn't allowed to finish because I was getting really scared with that dog being, you know, killing. Well, and the Good na- book. Good book, too. The name has become synonymous now with rabbit killer dogs. Cujo. It's become very synonymous. Fun story. I saw Cujo actually when at a double feature at a drive-in theater with Creepshow. Mm-hmm. That was a lot of fun to watch both of those movies together. But yeah, the book is definitely a lot darker than the movie. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of the reverse mist, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then Christine, which I think is held in a much higher uh, esteem than Cujo. This is unfortunately the first and only time that Stephen King and John Carpenter teamed up. I, I kind of wish there would have been another collaboration between the two yeah. because I think John I, I think John Carpenter did a really good job with with this film. Yeah, it's I mean, uh you know one of those 
satanic cars. Uh, I haven't seen it in a while, but last few times I saw it, I really liked it. it I know I saw it when I was younger, and then again as a twenty and thirty year old, and I liked it still. It's it's the car's iconic. Yeah, it, it's very iconic looking car, and I mean, even though you know what the effects are when it comes to you know Christine repairing herself, you know, it's it's just reverse photography. It's still effective. It's still very you know fun to watch, and it's. I think if they would have done it with C, if they were to do it today with CGI, it just wouldn't be as impressive as what we got. I mean, that was like the big moment in the movie that everybody wanted to see was to see Christine repair herself, and we got our money's worth with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so there was a interesting uh, movie called Nightmares that you and I both saw together at Alamo yes. House. <laughs> Uh, Emilio Estevez and uh, <laughs> in the arcade. Um, this is uh, definitely uh, a movie kind of like Creepshow. Uh, it has several segments, an anthology movie. Some of them better than others. The first one is pretty much the first fifteen, mo- the first five minutes of Urban Legend, yeah. but expanded out and done very well. And then you get the weird um, arcade scene. <laughs> That's the only thing I really remember from Nightmares is the Emilio Estevez versus the arcade game segment. Um, I remember the movie was originally supposed to be a pilot for a television series that was act. And it so, feels that way. It kind yeah. of feels like it would be made for TV because it's not all that intense from what I remember. Mm-hmm. Terror and Topanga. <laughs> <laughs> That is the first segment, Battle of the Bishop with Emilio Estevez playing a video game player. The Benediction, a Catholic priest attending a field, a doe approach. I don't remember this at all. Oh, this was the one with Lance Henriksen. This was basically the remake of Duel, basically. It was Lance Henriksen versus the satanic truck. I remember that now. It's terrible. It was terrible. And Night of the Rat. Oh, I remember that now. Yeah, the giant rat. Yeah. So uh, the only thing that the only thing worth noting about the Night of the Rat segment is that is that Veronica Cartwright, who went on to become the voice of Bart Simpson, starred in that segment. (laughs) That's funny. That's funny. Um, So, yeah, that that movie, uh, I can't really say go seek it out. It's not amazing. (laughs) Mm -mm. And the other big uh, and controversial anthology movie. Twilight Zone. Yes, Twilight Zone, the movie, if you've not, if you have Shudder, I highly recommend watching the series Cursed Films. Yeah. Season one talks about Twilight Zone, the movie. Um, very tragic. Uh, yeah. it, it the kinda, whole movie is bogged down by yeah. some, some uh, one really bad mistake made that, mm-hmm. that resulted in death for several people. I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm actually surprised that the film was still released um it's, it's, yeah, amazing. I can't imagine. it's amazing that john landis he had a career after it too i can't even imagine it these days you know so if you don't know um there was a scene there in one of the movies and one of the sequences of the one of the segments directed um, by john landis directed by john landis now what did he direct again before this american werewolf in london and animal house yeah two, you know, two two of the biggest movies of all time yeah yeah, and Blues Brothers. And the Blues Brothers, yeah. So he 
is filming a scene where someone is carrying some Vietnamese kids through a, uh, a, a pond, some water. And there's mm-hmm. supposed to be a big helicopter hovering over them. It's really late at night. These kids should not even been there because they were illegally hired. Uh, I think they, I think the, the segment says they kind of just gotten these people's kids. Say, hey, do you want to be in this movie? Yeah. And the helicopter crashed into the actor and the kids and killed them. And they still release this movie. I like just talking about it now. I can't believe not it. just killed Showed them. It. I mean, just like decapitated. And the and the, and the thing is, is that they've released the footage of the accident, and it's gruesome to watch because you you see Vic Morrow's head just fly off his body, and it's it's terrifying. It's absolutely terrifying. The film was still a hit. It, it, it cost oh, yeah. ten million to make, and it made forty two million in the box office. And- it's real, the, the other segments are really good, especially the uh, remake of Nightmare at 20,000 Feet. Really it's good one segment. of John Lithgow's – it's one of his biggest performances ever. Yeah. yeah. But I think now the whole movie is overshadowed by and, – and, and, you know, justifiably so – this horrible accident. I, like, I can't believe that they released this movie and included mm-hmm. the segment. You would have thought they would have at least said, yeah, we're not going to release this. I, and just, they did. I think out of respect to the life of Vic Morrow and the two kids, I mean, it's not like this is, you know, just some run of the mill actor. I mean, this is a guy who is prolific with films like Black Fork Jungle, King Creole, the father of Jennifer Jason Lee. I mean, this was, you know, a big actor. And I think out of respect, instead of this being released as, his final film role, they should just cut the entire segment out, tell John Landis, thank you for your work, but we're just going to keep it at four stories instead of five. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This also has a really good segment of the remake of Kick the Can. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, 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 I'm sorry. Not Kick the Can. Uh, it's a Good Life. That's Which one is the one with the kid who turns everything real? It's a Good Life, yeah. It's a good life. That, I thought, was a pretty good remake of that uh, episode as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked it, uh, but yeah, it's it's hard to watch, especially because I think they should have just edited it out. So. Yeah, well, let's go on to something brighter. <laughs> let's let's go on to something a little happier in uh, in <laughs> happier in tone. Yeah, we don't have any happy. <laughs> there there was actually a big movie that came out in 1983, and it was a movie that no one expected to ever come out in a million years, and it happened. Oh, yes. Psycho 2 was released I, in 1983. I really thought hard about making this my favorite because it is pretty damn good. And it, it should is. work, and it fucking does. I, I think what made it work was the fact that it it did do the thing where there was all this time that had passed between mm-hmm. the events of the first film and today. And, it, it, you know, it focused on the subject matter of can someone be cured can someone be forgiven for their crimes and you know dealing with the the people who were the victims of the crimes how they will go to great lengths to make sure that the person who committed those crimes stays persecuted for the rest of their life there's a lot of layers going on to psycho 2 and then if that wasn't enough you got the acting of robert loja who likes to chew the scenery in any movie he's ever in going on as well yeah, Meg Tilly's in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, NYPD 
blue multiple Emmy winning actor Dennis Franz in this movie. Mm-hmm. Not very long, but he is in it. <laughs> um, but this is all about Norman Bates. This is all about Anthony Hopkins, and he's the main character. Mm-hmm. You know, the redemption the of Norman Bates, yeah. Yeah, and I think he does an amazing job of making you feel sorry for him and rooting for him to mm-hmm. get better. And all the odds of of him not being able to get better. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's such a great take on it. It was, you know, Halloween H2O and all those movies before decades before those came out. And not not to just sit on its laurels with having one plot twist element. It gives us two plot mm-hmm. twist elements. Because, you know, when we find out that these murders that resemble the murders that happen from the original movie are going on are actually being done by the Vera Miles character and her daughter being played by Meg Telly. Spoiler alert. Spoiler. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so, you know, we have that big twist of that happening, but then we get that out of left field ending. Yeah. That ends on a cliffhanger as well. That was like, okay, we better get a part three cause we need answers. <laughs> so, it was a uh, yeah. This is a damn good movie. One of the best of that year. Speaking of Meg Tilly, she was in another fun horror movie that came out in '83 called One Dark Night. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. If you've not seen this, you got to see this one. It's fun. It's about this. It's about this uh, woman who wants to get into a, a secret society club, basically, and so. Uh, the uh, so this not this woman I'm sorry a teenager she wants to basically become like one of the pink ladies essentially mm-hmm. in high school, so they decide you know okay we're going to do it but they decide to also do it as a hazing ritual by locking her up in a mausoleum one night by herself but they also gave her this drug so that way she hallucinates and starts freaking out at the images that she sees unbeknownst to her and the other girls. In this mausoleum is the body of an energy vampire who is resurrecting himself from the dead and also all of the bodies inside the mausoleum. And it's up to the police detective, played by Adam West, to... Oh, my God. <laughs> ...to uncover all this going on. And if that wasn't enough, we also got genre favorite E.G. Daly in the movie as one of the bullies, um, who kind of has a change of heart in the film... Just it's a slow burn getting up to the shit hitting the fan. And when the shit hits the fan in the mausoleum, oh, my God, it's like you're on the best roller coaster ride you've ever been on in your entire so life. What you're saying is this is Hell Night, but better. <laughs> yes. Yes. And you got some really gross out effects, some great gross out effects going on with the zombies. Like one of the girls is fighting one of the corpses off. And punches the zombie, and her hand gets covered in goo and bugs. And it's just so gross, but so much fun, especially her genuine reaction. It doesn't look like she was acting. I think she wasn't told that this fake zombie was going to be filled with goo and insects. Because <laughs> her scream was just too real looking. Um, it's fun. It's so much fun. I, if you've not seen One Dark Night, it's on Shutter, I think now. If not, I'm not, I think it's also on Amazon Prime. It's a lot of fun. You know, going from one fun movie to the other. Uh, there's a movie called Curtains that I really like from this. I've not seen Curtains yet, actually. So it's kind of like the way I found out about it was just this ridiculous clip 
I think it was uh, like at this in this era of the social medias. Remember, we'd have these monthly challenges, and it, someone would say, "On this day, post your favorite this, that, and the other," you know. Mm-hmm. And then people would post it, and you'd find out about new movies. Well, one was this ice skating scene. So this young woman is <laughs> ice skating in the field. The only scene I know about this. Yeah, movie. and then you see she turns, and this person in a old lady. Mask and with a scythe in their hands is ice skating after her and a chase ensues. And it was like, I need to see this movie. And I was able to secure it. Uh, I I mean, this cult classic, uh, it was released in 2014. So this should tell you about the time that I was able to get this Blu ray. And it follows, um, if I remember correctly, like this, these actresses or models are all going to this one area and you know um they all start dying one by one um and it's pretty good it's definitely in that high c lower b tier of horror movie very i'd rank it next to madman you know like you could have a lot of fun with it but no it's not the best thing of all time I remember reading one comment on There's a doll in it, too. There's also a doll in the movie. Well, of course there's a doll. Yeah, that figures very prominently. I remember reading a comment online that cracked me up about that scene with the the the, pers- the killer wearing the old lady's mask. They said, oh, look, <laughs> it's Bette Midler's inner soul. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, this is also one of those Canadian horror movies like Prom Night or uh, um, t- which one? Uh, uh my bloody valentine so nice i don't know when canada does their horror movies they sort of hit <laughs> some sort of weird thing <laughs> canadian horror is something else if it's not cronenberg it's something else it really is uh, oh yeah speaking of cronenberg this speaking was the, of, yeah this was the year of videodrome um probably one of his biggest films ever one of his, yeah it's amazing it is amazing it's dark. It's really dark. Like, I feel dark. like this should be my favorite movie of the year. But it's it almost was, but there's something else that is instead. It almost was my choice. But yeah, Videodrome is a dark film, but a, a good dark film. This was the film that actually made me a fan of David Cronenberg at such a young age. Not Scanners or anything else. It was this one. <laughs> you should have been seeing this at a young age. No, I shouldn't have. Not this one. No, no, no. But like this is there's horror movies like what I saw, like Halloween and and Prom Night. And then there's Videodrome, which takes it to another level. Hey, I mean, this was the year I saw this and Flesh for Frankenstein. I and at that point I'm ruined. Better than I, I am a ruined child at this point. But the difference between Videodrome and Flesh for Frankenstein is Flesh for Frankenstein's campy. Videodrome is dark but in a good way I, oh yeah yeah uh, i think the reason why i insisted on seeing videodrome was because i was such a huge fan of debbie harry debbie i think harry, yeah. why you mean, gosh debbie harry and she's amazing in this in this oh yeah she is so tell the audience a little bit more. You weren't a big James Wood fan back then? It wasn't him that was drawing you to the No, movie? it wasn't James Wood. I'm still not today a fan of James Wood for other reasons. <laughs> uh, yeah, Videodrome is about this guy who's looking for smut, basically. He's looking for, for smut, and he stumbles upon this thing called Videodrome, and it's all sorts of fucked up imagery of uh, BDSM and violence and 
you know, mind control and mind fuckery, and it really blurs the line between reality and fiction, and uh-huh. you get all of these, you know, fucked up images of televisions coming to life and kissing you and reaching weapons, and he gets a, a flesh gun on his hand that shoots bullets that, yep. sh- that are, like, literally pure forms of cancer to make you get rapid cancer, cancer tumors exploding out of your body, and... Uh-huh. It's dark. It's so dark. And, Getting and, videotapes shoved into your torso. Your, yeah, your, your torso vagina, yeah. On the same day that you, you and I saw Nightmares, uh, I also saw Videodrome for the first time, and mm-hmm. I cannot tell you how thankful I am that I saw Videodrome on the big screen. Yeah. It, it and as an adult. But, like, so many of the movies I saw for the first time were on the small screen. I'm so grateful Videodrome was on the big screen so you could really appreciate it because mm-hmm. I just think it's in the bigger in the bigger screen. It really came to life. It gets under your skin and, and it gets and it, like so many other of Cronenberg's movies. It gets under your skin and you in don't a forget way. It. Yeah, like, you can't remember much from Nightmares, but I saw that on the same. But I remember Videodrome. There's so many images burned in my brain from, from Videodrome. There really is. It's a fantastic movie. Like I would say if you want to know, if you saw The Fly from Cronenberg and you want to go to the next step, I would say Videodrome's a good one to go to. Yeah. Um, Dead Ringers is a deep cut for him. Dead Ringers and Crash are deep cuts for him. Uh, but, yeah, this would be the logical next step is either this one or Scanners. And then and then see, you know, the first ten minutes of Jason X because he's in it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we'll get to Jason X later. We still got a few years oh, before yeah. we hit that one. Um, I don't know. We don't have very many films left from this year, do we? This is a much smaller year than any yeah. Well, there's a couple of other ones I just want to briefly mention because of how schlocky they are. Uh, Scalps, which was about this evil spirit of a Native American who comes to life and gets revenge on white people. Good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's one of those movies where you literally say good for her. Um, of unknown origin with Peter Weller about a guy fighting a a, a giant rat in his apartment, and it's not like a mutated rat, or rat. <laughs> yeah, it's just a regular New York rat. Um, mausoleum, which you would think would be about like the undead or anything, but it's about this woman who visits a mausoleum and gets possessed by an evil demon, and wacky Great. hilarity ensues. Great cover art. Um, and then there's Mortuary. Which I would recommend just to see a very young, then unknown Bill Paxton playing a serial killer. Um, and this one, fortunately, is all set in a mortuary. So, you know, it, it actually lives up to its title. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we get to um, a couple of the bigger ones here. Um one that I almost chose as my number one film also, but it, it did not get it. It's called Eyes of Fire. Um, you know me. I'm a sucker for, for like, the, the whole folk horror genre. And this is a big one. Uh, it's about a um, – it's, it's set during the times of the pilgrims and, and everything, and the religious persecuted. And it's this guy who's got, like, this really bizarre look on religion – who gets excommunicated out of his village and he sets off to start his own village. And he basically finds a piece of land that has the purest form of evil because of how many people have been killed on this land. 
and it's got some really great imagery going on a lot of darkness going on um shot factory uh not shot factory but uh, severin just recently released a 4k restoration of it and if you are a fan of full core i highly recommend eyes of fire this is a weird year there's a few big big movies a few kind of like notorious movies and then just a lot of movies like Mm -hmm. going through this i recognize some of the cover art like for the final terror or the keep i recognize it i've never seen it yeah honestly they're movies that at least i haven't heard people talk about these aren't movies that have clips that are circulated like say pieces um some of the movies on this list uh it's kind of more deep cut i would say of the horror movies of that hell even even disney attempted to do horror again this year by teaming up with ray bradbury for something wicked this way comes which was not a bad effort Uh it was a lot better than watcher in the woods but still it's also it's it's disney doing a horror film so yeah yeah let's get to the big ones how much is left on our do we have not really much there's two big films that are left on this list that we haven't touched yet and I, I two I, very I, different films i'm gonna guess <laughs> two very different films so uh i'll go with you first what what, what is your pick for you, favorite guess, I, I i i think i which, know which one it is which movies do we have left to talk about um well honestly really only two films uh, <laughs> yeah, let's bring up what are the two options we have tony scott's the hunger and we have sleepaway camp so you have, you know, uh, something with, uh, what's her name, Juliet or uh, with, uh, Catherine Deneuve. Catherine Deneuve, Susan Sarandon, and, and David Bowie. Yeah, one that has these very famous people and a sleazy camp movie. <laughs> yep. Which one do you think I picked? The sleazy camp movie. Oh, God, you know I For do. I, uh, so many reasons. First of all, tell the audience your Peaches Cry story. So first off, let's talk about Sleepaway Camp. Um, I'm going to get this out of the way because I like this movie, but let's just address it does have problematic things. Well, it's, very, it's very un-PC. It okay, really we're is. about to go into heavily spoiler territory because there's no way to discuss it without bringing out. There are definitely in the vein of Silence of the Lambs, and Cherry Falls, you know, the trans person is the killer. Uh, this is even weirder in that Angela, our main character, is forcibly trans. Uh, yeah, not by choice, yeah. No, she has been forced to be... Angela is a born a boy and forced to be a girl by her crazy, crazy aunt who belongs in the horror Hall of Fame for being uh, yes. as one of the most ridiculous characters you'll ever see in a horror movie. That one gets all the attention, but let's not forget that the homophobia in this movie is pretty off the charts, too. And uh, the homoeroticism as yeah. well. Because Angela has two dads. Uh, her dad has a lover, and her, her and her brother have seen their dad have sex with his lover, which has... The movie clearly shows inspired them to have incest with each other. There we go. Incest. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so those are this. This is 1983. I'm not going to defend it. I'm not going to over. It, it, unfortunately, that's what's in the movie. 
But what's interesting at the same time, I mean, there's just the film is just so over the top that it kind of just just gets in in enveloped in all the over the topness because you've also got but you've got usually in movies like this, it's the female characters who get objectified. Not in this one. It's all oh the male God. characters who get objectified. All the men the are wearing shortest, the skimpiest clothes. Of all time. And the highest, you know... T- you know, uh, They were basically I'll, wearing collars with sleeves. Yes, yes. Uh, and you can tell the religion of everybody in this movie just by looking at the pants they were wearing. Yeah, you have a child molester on, on staff. Um, who cook. eats his just desserts, yes, who dies in a very gory way, and you're not feeling bad for that person at all. Let's the, talk about this movie. Let, let, now that the, 80 year old, the 80-year-old camp counselor who's God. sleeping with the teenage female who, camp counselors. Very enthusiastically, she's chasing him. Let's, yeah. um, let's put that in. She is chasing after this old man um, from what you can see. So how do I know anything about this this movie? If you've never seen it, it sounds pretty bad already. But um, Peaches Christ is a famous horror-loving drag queen in, based out of San Francisco. Pretty much the Elvira of drag, I would say. Mm-hmm. Horror aficionado, great director, all about evil. It's getting re-released. Go watch it. Thank God it's getting released. Yeah, uh, I used to watch. I used to listen to a podcast called Feast of Fools, Feast of Fun. I'm not sure what era they were in when when Peaches started getting on the show. Sounds like and Feast would, of Fools, I think it was. And Peaches would talk about all these great horror movies, and it was summer, so it was about camp horror movies. And she talked about Sleepaway Camp. They did it in very vague terms. And I remember her just saying, "There's shorts on everyone. There's shorts." So I had to see it. And the ending is as shocking. Unfortunately, we've kind of blown it, but it's still shocking. It's as shocking of an ending that you don't see coming um, as you can. I can only imagine how much this blew people's minds in 1983. Especially since this movie was released up against the the film that was predicted to be the big hit that weekend, Yentl, starring Barbara Streisand. Ah! But Sleepaway Camp beat Yentl in the oh. box office. Because of the word of mouth about this ending that came out of nowhere. Yeah, like, just, you have to see this movie. It is this movie, and then, and then, just to set it up again, Peaches held a screening of Sleepaway Camp in San Francisco. I, at this point, lived in Dallas, Texas. So I got my best friend and I, and we ran over there. Peaches likes to host a little pre-show before the movie. And I was already, like, emailing her, like, I'm coming all the way from Texas. And she's like, are you sure? Are you sure you want to go? <laughs> I'm like, that's a long way for my show. I hope it doesn't disappoint you. And I'm like, I really want to play oh. in one of the camp games you've already been talking about online. Her shows are so – I miss her shows. Oh, so my God. So I go there. Drum, there was going to be a naked sleeping bag competition. And I'm like, you know, I'm I'm – I'm in my early 30s. I was doing at this point that remember that insanity workout that would be on TV. Yes. I was doing that every day for a month and a half. I was in tip top shape, girl. I was in tip top shape. And I'm like, I'm going to do this. Naked this is when you were in your twink phase, basically. Yeah. Well, I was I was still I was still in my early 30s. So I was still pretty much in that smaller bill that I was when I was in my 20s. But here I was doing that insanity workout. Um. You knew me at this time. Mm-hmm. So we go up, and uh, I'm a little drunk. 
I was a, a little. Guy. Yeah, I was probably a little drunk. I was flirting with this guy in the army, I remember, um, or navy, or something or other. That's going to come into play later on. <laughs> so she goes, "Who wants to be in the naked sleeping bag competition?" Here I come. I have boots on, jeans, a buttoned-up <laughs> T-shirt. The other two people there. There's a guy that is in pretty much a, a, what the. A, what the camp counselors wear over there. No short, shorty shorts and a short t-shirt, you know? Um, and, and, uh, there was another woman there too. And they gave us our bags and, you know, we're from tech. I'm from Texas. You don't get naked on stage. I'm thinking they're going to have us escorted out of the uh, back. We'll get naked and get the sleeping bags and then bounce around. But I didn't oh, no, realize honey, I was in San Francisco. San- this is San Francisco, honey. You're going to strip in front of everybody. And it was like, the first round is to get naked and get in your sleeping bag. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> so here I go. I lose that one hands down. I couldn't even take off one of my boots before that guy was fully naked because he only had two articles of clothing on. <laughs> um, so he won that one hands down. So they put us up. They're like, okay, here's the real part. You have to, this is an old-timey theater, so there's aisles in the theater, and it makes kind of like, you know, a staple, you know, that staple, if you don't do the staple, it kind of has that little bracket mm-hmm. uh, formation. Now, I was, was, this at the, was this at the Bridge Theater, or was do this at the Castro? Lion. This was 11 years ago. I certainly <laughs> don't remember <laughs> my only time in Because I can't remember if, if Peach has moved from the Bridge to the Castro yet or not. I, I want to no, I'm not going to make any promises about what it was. I had a lot to drink that night. <laughs> <laughs> so I started on one end. The other two started the other one. And she's like, and remember, we want them to fall. We want them to, you know, th- they think this is going to be a long affair of people, you know, hopping down. I finish. I, so if you think about the bracket, I am on one end. They are on the other. I round the first corner. And about to round that second corner when those two people were barely rounding that first corner. <laughs> I kind of slam into the poor girl because um, I'm going so fast. Get up the stage. Everyone's cheering. Peach is like, how was that done so fucking fast? And I'm very proud of myself. I made everyone laugh. Um, well, because you called yourself a Mexican junkie yeah, bean. I am Mexican. And she says, I remember everyone's like cheering. And oh, my God, that was so amazing. At least my and I do have video proof to show that was exactly what it is. Uh, I'm there. And she goes, what do they do with you guys in Texas? <laughs> in Texas? Why were you so fast? And I had and I said, I'm a Mexican jumping bean, baby. Oh, my God. The first, the only time in my entire life I made a room, theater full of people laugh. One and only. I did it. Uh, And then we had to put our clothes back on on stage and get off so they could continue the games. It was great. And interestingly enough, this is the 11-year anniversary of that. And I sent the pictures to Peaches. Uh, You know, she's got tons of followers i didn't think she'd take it seriously she saw the pictures and reposted it on instagram and facebook yeah i'm looking at the, the moment right now and i'm re- looking at the post right now she's saying the bridge theater so it was at okay. the bridge theater when it happened it was so much fun uh the movie why do i like the movie it's it starts off ridiculous it's 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 the, this aunt that shows up one of the first people you see <laughs> 
Is she overacting? Is she underacting? I don't know. <laughs> I love the ad so the much. The ad is in a ridiculous outfit. Uh, I've met Felissa Rose, and she has told me that you don't know how many people have asked her if it was a drag queen playing the aunt. <laughs> um, it's just ridiculous. She's got a little, you know, oh, I put a string around my finger. That reminds me what I was supposed to say. What was I supposed to say? Put your on mouth as she looks up. It's it's amazing. And so the movie starts off in this ridiculous way. Um, I think there's gets, a whole bag. And then it gets, you would agree, darker and darker and mm-hmm. darker and darker and darker. Uh, our, our main character, Angela, is an incredibly bullied person. Everyone seems to have it out for her. Including that bitch Judy with her side ponytail. Oh God, Judy! Oh my Judy, God, that bitch. Judy. One of the best mean girls in cinema oh. history, hands down, definitely. Yes, she, and and you know you just look at her and she's like, oh, she's the bitch. Um, kids are mean to her too. I mean, just a lot of like ten-year-old kids made it a point to come and like kick sand at her. Mm-hmm. She's just incredibly bullied by everybody. Um. And this movie just gets darker and darker and darker and more, I don't know. Like, then you find out there's a child, uh, child rapist on staff. (laughs) What? Who meets his just desserts and a horrifying death. No, he doesn't even die. He's still alive. He has to suffer with this, with, you know, 10th degree burns all over his hands and face. Mm -hmm. Um, And it just kind of ends in this over-the-top scene that takes everyone by storm. If you haven't seen it, watch it. And in the heart, Felissa Rose is really good in this role, if you ask me, mm-hmm. as Angela, the bullied girl. you She's very young when she did the part. And uh, she wasn't allowed to be, if I remember correctly, like she wasn't allowed to be on some of the parts of it because she was so young. But she, she is amazing in the role. And she loves doing this role. I've told this story to Felicia Rose herself at a con, and she loved every second of it. She loved the Naked Sleeping Bag competition story. So, um, if, if you ever get a chance to meet her. Meet her. Meet her. Oh, she my God. her fans. She will talk to you for 20 minutes and not worry about how many people mm-hmm. are in line. She is just one of those people that you need to meet. An icon in the industry. Um, just love her to death. And yeah. this movie, with all its issues, I just think is it's one of those early 80s camp movies that stands out because it is just so wacky and dark at the same time. Mm-hmm. Do you agree? Yeah. I mean, and, and I mean, you've got some great it's. It's camp. I mean, it, it's, it's pro- very campy. It, it's, it's probably one of the best examples of camp I've ever seen in my entire life. Because uh, the line delivery, ex- especially the whole flat as a board and in need of a screw, is just a great line. And the delivery of it is perfect. Ingenious uh, kills. Death genius by kills. Death I by mean, curling iron. Yeah. <laughs> and, and not just any death by curling iron. Death by curling iron still plugged into the wall turned on up the girl's vagina. I mean, 
it's it, you don't see it, but it's implied. And even uh, not and maybe multiple killers. You could watch this movie and then start thinking that maybe there was more than one killer because some things just do not make sense for only one person to be doing all this killing. Mm-hmm. So uh, it. For as weird and strange as this movie is, it's my favorite movie because it's simply unforgettable. Simply un- and really stands out. You know, take out the Friday the Thirteenth out of the camp, you know, genre, and I think Sleepaway Camp is by the is near the top. Mm. How about you? Which one did you? Pick? This almost was my number one choice. It really was because I I, I it, this is one of those movies where with all the its problematicisms aside and everything. At the same time, no matter how many times I watch it, I have a blast. I have an absolute blast. This is a fun movie to watch by yourself. It's a fun movie to watch with an audience. It is a comfort food movie. It really is. As dark and twisted as that sounds, it is a comfort food movie. But for me, I would... Our target audience, they know what we're saying. Yes. But for me, I, I did... It was really hard choosing between these two films because I really love them equally, but... The edge for me did go to The Hunger. Um, Which I've yet to see, and I do need to change that. It's really good. I mean, it, you. Th- this is a quintessential 80s movie. I mean, this, this film captures the style of kind of the darker edge of the 80s so perfectly. It's, I mean, the, the whole. Yeah, the whole entire opening segment is you got Bauhaus performing Bella Lugosi is dead in this kind of like gothic new wave club. It's and 1983. Have, the 80s are starting to take form by now. Yeah, it's not like and, 81 or 80, where it's still very 70s. This is now 83. You're getting to be in the 80s as we know it. Mm-hmm. And inside this in this nightclub, you see you know Catherine Deneuve and David Bowie very got the got it's got that asymmetrical yet angular 80s look to both of them as they're just overseeing everybody in this club with their glasses on and everything and i it just this looks like it's just going to be this kind of you know artsy fartsy film but no it is not it is a vampire movie and it's a, <laughs> it's a very untraditional vampire movie because they don't like bite the necks like you normally do or anything like that i mean they have to they use this tool to drink the blood and Catherine deneuve is the main vampire and she turns people into vampires that she wants as sexual lovers and david bowie is her current one the problem is 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 that when they do get fed the vampire blood it keeps them young and internal and everything, but eventually, for those who have been turned, it fades away. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, they rapidly start aging uh, to the point where they basically become living corpses. And wow. David, David yeah, Bowie's – <laughs> yeah. And so David Bowie's character hears about this doctor who's played by Susan Sarandon who may have found – a who's looking for the secret of life basically and trying to unlock what causes us to age and what keeps us young and blah, 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 and tries to go for her for help. But she, he gets re, you know, rejected because she's like vampires. Yeah, whatever. Well, as he's decaying and he's placed with into the coffin 
in the catacombs of Catherine Deneuve's house, along with all of her other former lovers. Yikes. Wow. Yeah. Then Susan Sarandon's character comes looking for him and Catherine Deneuve falls in love with her. And now we've got this lesbian love story going on between the two of them and how she's slowly starting to get the taste for blood and everything. And we start seeing the cycle happen all over again. But things it, it, it's just I, I don't want to ruin the ending for this one for you because you've not seen this one. I but need to see this. You've made it sound a lot more interesting than I. Yeah. It's really good. I mean, this I think this was one of Tony Scott's earlier films before he would go on to do stuff like Beverly Hills Cop, Days of Thunder, Top Gun, all those you know different types of films. Yeah, but you could definitely see the Flash. You know, because because unlike his brother Ridley, Tony was more about quick flashiness and style and just, you know, basically everything that the eighties became known for when it comes to superficial look and everything. Um, but at the same time, it is a very fascinating story and it's a really unique take on vampirism. All right. Well, I will make it my goal to see that. Oh, I forgot to tell you one of my favorite parts about my, my sleep boy camp story. There's still one more. Oh, there's one I more. I told my boss about this. Um, oh, for one, I told you about there was like some military person. He told me that when I was running, he was going to slap my ass as I ran down, as I was hopping down the uh, aisle. But I went so fast, he went for it, but missed me completely as I had already passed. Whoopsie. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was always funny. Like I said, I was in tip top shape here. That insanity workout was legit. The second was, I had a boss that was very uh, open-minded. So I told her about this story, and she loved it. And then one time, she asked me to do something. And I was like, I don't know if I could do that. And she's like, well, it's not the naked sleeping bag competition. (laughs) (laughs) I still remember her saying that. And we were at work, so some people heard it. I was like, Thanks, boss. Inappropriate stuff between two people, but you know we were friendly. It was the type of stuff we could tell each other. But yeah, I told that story to my boss, and she loved it. So that should tell you one of my most proud moments. Yes, mom would be so proud if she knew. <laughs> oh, can you imagine if I told my mom that? Oh God. I mean, what part of that would she like? Not faint. Like I just don't know how far I could actually get in that story before she just the look of horror in her face would. <laughs> Drag queen? Horror movie? Naked? What? (laughs) (sighs) So, yeah. Yeah, that's a, you know, 82 and 83, very self-contained years, if you ask me. Yeah. Because it's still not in that, I I think we're about to hit, I mean, we haven't hit some of the iconic 80s movies yet. They weren't. We're getting very close. Yeah, they weren't in these two years. 1984, we're going to start seeing some of those iconic horror films emerging, definitely. Yeah. Uh, just to yeah, kind of get you guys a heads up. Yeah, there was the thing, uh, but some of the other stuff is coming, and I really enjoyed these two. So there you go. So we wish everyone a happy Pride. Be safe. Enjoy it. We don't know what the next few will be like, if you ask me, but we're not going to talk about that. Uh, <laughs> Did you hear that uh, some Texas person, some Texas 
state Congress senator is going to try to write a bill about making sure kids can't see drag queens because of what happened last weekend. Yeah, I saw like, that. That's I, what he's concerned about. There was that's what he's shooting. concerned about. You know, there was not, just not, a mass shooting. You've, yeah, fuck. not not all the mass shootings. Let's prevent kids from being able to see people in drag. Just burns me up. Just burns me up. That's what you're concerned about. Not all those dead children, but the mm-hmm. real danger is drag queens that. Ooh. Smoke screens. Smoke screens. So, on a positive note, <laughs> as we say every week, keep watching them horrors. <laughs> <laughs> See y'all next time, folks.